Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Hello and welcome to the Internet Advisor. Hi, I'm Foster Brown, your co-host and producer for the program. And I might say that we just gave in to the wonderful weather and decided to do a program about summer camp. That perfectly appropriate. We're going to be talking with the folks from Lawrence Technological University. Lisa Kajawa, who is the assistant provost, is going to be there uh, talking about a summer camp that they have coming up. And in the second hour, we'll be talking with folks from Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. Welcome to your Internet Advisor on Dry Land. <laughs> I mentioned that because right now, three of our hosts, our co-hosts, are somewhere on the rolling sea or looking at boats. Or looking at boats. Or go looking, on the rolling sea. Yeah, yeah they're, they're anxious to get on the rolling sea. Hi, I'm Foster Brown. Ed Rudell here in studio with us, and we've got a great program lined up for you in just a little bit. But uh, seriously, uh, let's see. Shane is coming back from Cancun, right? where he has been with his wife celebrating their anniversary. And uh, Cal Carson and yep. his wife are finishing up a cruise of the Caribbean. Correct. They left the same time that, remember, the uh, the, the cruise ships in Florida? Uh, I think it was a Royal Caribbean that was um, held up a dock because it uh, it didn't pass certain safety inspections. Oh. And I'm like, that just Cal's luck. That's got to be him. No. But it wasn't. Oh, good. So good. Cal took a, a different, <laughs> he wasn't on Royal Caribbean, so we're good. <laughs> and Gary is casting an eye at some of the boats down at the Miami Boat Show. Yeah. So, um, and unfortunately, the connectivity down there, <laughs> it may be, they may be able to connect to the water pretty quickly, but they can't connect to the internet, unfortunately, probably because there's all sorts of people down there oh, yeah. who are trying to do the very, very same thing. And uh, speaking of uh, getting off the ground, something I didn't get off the ground today was the SpaceX rocket. No kidding. 13 seconds from going up at uh, 10 o'clock this morning, a little after 10 o'clock, the SpaceX rocket had to abort because um, there was an issue with the positioning of one of the engine nozzles responsible for steering the rocket. That would be kind of important. That's kind of important. Well, at least it didn't blow up on the pad. No, thank heavens yeah. for that. And as a matter of fact, uh, the company has said it was uh, exercising an extreme amount of caution in yeah. doing this uh, because they didn't want to blow the thing up on the pad. And they have another window tomorrow morning. Uh, that is Sunday morning, the 19th of February, at uh, a little after 9.30. So it may yet go off, but they were just being very cautious about getting off now, the ground. Now, 
do you know what they were going to launch this time? Was it more uh, more spy satellites or communication satellites? Let's see. It's or? a Falcon 9 rocket carrying a Dragon spacecraft for a resupply mission to the International Space Station. Well, that's good. They can have their potato chips and popcorn now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> or a cold six-pack of something, <laughs> yes. Uh, the Dragon vessel uh, has a 5,500-pound supply for the ISS crew. So there's all sorts of goodies in there. It'll be including uh, experiment support materials for over 250 studies and research projects. And uh, you can watch that, by the way, online. Yeah. Did you watch the NASA? Well, I don't know. You may not be old enough to have watched this. The launches of the of the rockets in the sixties. Oh yes. Seventies. I was. I, I watched the first uh, moon landing. Oh, you with, did. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Black, I and, black and white television. Yep. When they started <laughs> I, from the very first rocket uh, that took off in the uh, in that whole Apollo space program, I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Watching it. And it's what's fascinating to me is to hear the statistics about the kind of elect, you know digital resources they had at their disposal that that we have I don't know how many hundreds of times the power we of have more computing in our, phone, in our phones in our phones than they did in the in entire, the entire program facility. Yeah, I remember my father had purchased the the um, the moon landing uh, LP. So, you know, so that it was a 33 LP double sided, and it had a lot of the communications and oh, talking about really? the, yes. So wow, know, he was a real fanatic. No, no, but it, you know the hi-fi system in the with the, in the den. You know. Oh yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> that all the parents did. You know. Because <laughs> yeah, right. when they had pinochle clubs, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But that's interesting. So he and he listened to that. Uh, well, he'd be for the kids because he knew we were we would be interested in, it. and it was a moment. That is interesting too, isn't it? Yeah, so they would instead of uh, having it recorded on you know some other way, they came in as as a as a thirty three RPM. No, yeah, yeah, it's a thirty three LP. So if you wanted to re listen to it again, they didn't really have tapes. They didn't have no of tape not. recorders back then. I mean, no, not really. I mean, so you had to get them on LP. And we've got to this place right now where it's just kind of blasé. But if you've got it, if you've got a phone, if you've got the internet, you can tap into it and you can watch this thing taking off. Yeah, um, and it's now. Not the government that's doing this is, although it's interesting, it's they're launching them from Cape Canaveral, yep. <clears throat> which was the big place for uh, the launch of the Apollo rockets and things like that. And but it's Elon Musk this time who is the man who's behind this. Uh, somebody was asking the question. I I've always wondered too. Why did we stop once we got to the moon? Why did we not go further? And it's been what. 30, has it been 30 years or more? I think it's 30 some odd years since the landing on the moon. 74 was the was last it, No, 69 was, was the landing on the moon. Was it 76 I was in or Panama 74 at the time was I the it. last man that walked in the moon died just 70, recently. Oh, wow. 74 yeah. was last, the last I, one I, on the moon? Does that sound about right? Yep. We're, have, we're checking with some guests Because we were doing here. a space shuttle back then. Because <laughs> I remember in 76, they had the USS Enterprise was on a 747 being flown. And it was the first, it was the experimental version of the space shuttle. That's and that right. was in 76, and that was flown on, I think it was 76 or 77, And yeah. because the space shuttle program didn't take off into the 80s. I've always been surprised that with the advances in, in space exploration in other countries, Russia mm-hmm. and China, that other countries haven't gone further. It's because we were told to leave by the aliens that live on the dark <laughs> side of the moon. 
That's why we didn't go back. The, yeah, the ones on the dark side told us, yeah. no thank you, you're not welcome here. <laughs> well, that's coming up on uh, February the 18th, uh, rather 19th, if uh, you listen to this and can tune in. That's on Sunday morning about 9.38. Hopefully the SpaceX will take off uh, once again and resupply the International Space Station. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to uh, head to summer camp with the folks from Lawrence Technological University. All that coming up on the Internet Advisor. Welcome once again to the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, your co-host and producer, along with Ed Rudell. Uh, we're kind of a, a trim back crew here as the rest are either on cruises someplace or down in uh, Florida casting a covetous eye on some of the boats at <laughs> the Miami Boat Show. That's all about Mr. Gary Baker. Yeah, he claims there's no connectivity down yeah. there whatsoever, so he can't make the call in. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I hope well, he's enjoying himself. Because he's down there for both work and pleasure. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, we have to say that. He's down there for both. And uh, we hope to be able to make a connection with him via Skype uh, sometime in the near future when he's out of town, as he is very often now uh, in Florida. But let's get back to something much closer to home. And uh, we're delighted to welcome back into our studios Lisa Kuriawa, right? Correct. And she is the Assistant Provost for Enrollment for Lawrence Technological University. Thank you so much for coming in again. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I had a blast the last time, so I'm glad I'm back. I am too. You, like last time around, were here to tell us about a very special summer camp program that you've got going at Lawrence Technological University. So let's, I, I heard that it, it went marvelously last year. What were, what were some of the statistics you were quoting in terms of the number of students who were involved? So, yes, we have um, a little over 500 students that attend. Wow. Over half of those are out-of-state students, and sometimes there's about seven or eight students that are out of the country. Wow, that's a long way to come, and we hope that uh, people who are listening to the program now will also uh, take some... To, one of the reasons we're doing this early uh, is to be, give people a chance to hear this and get their kids involved in it. So let's talk about the uh, the ages for the kids who are going to be part of the program. So the camps are for sophomores, juniors, and seniors in high school. Okay. And we always tell parents it's really an opportunity to explore your passion. The camps are 25, uh, anywhere between 25 and 30. They are specifically to STEAM. We say STEAM at LTU because oh, we also right. have architecture and art and design. That's so, science, technology, engineering, architecture or art. Exactly. And math. And math. Exactly. So um, the camps are one week in length. You can be a commuter student or a residential student. And the residential students have a variety of activities in the evening, uh, as well as getting to know the campus, and it's a great opportunity for them sure. to understand what it means to be a college student. Do you, I just out of curiosity, do you find people coming in? How, well, first of all, how long have you been doing the camps now? The camps are about seven years old. We started okay. with three, believe it or not, and now have close to 30. Wow. And and what a great statistic for us is 48% of those students will end up enrolling at LTUS freshmen. That was what I was going to ask. Yes. <laughs> it's a great way. It's a great way to see if not only is that major good for you. You yeah. know, some students will come in and say, oh, I really am great at math and science. And then they'll go into a biomedical engineering camp and the parent will call me and say, oh, they hate it. <laughs> they really like design. Okay, then we move them in here. But that's really good because yes. Yes. for a certain amount of money, you figure out what your passion is before you're in college and are spending a lot more money. 
So uh, this uh, the camp is, uh, it, it sounds like there's a number of camps, actually, that the kids can, can become involved in, depending on the kind of subject that they're uh, interested in. Well, what are the dates for this? The camps are um, four weeks. They are uh, mostly in July. Okay. And you can sign up for the camps at ltu.edu and okay. click on summer camps. We already have 150 applications for summer already. Ooh. So you are correct when you say it's important to do it early. There's also discounts you can earn that will lower the price to you. Excellent. Um, and that's on the website too. But we always work with parents. Just, you know, it was a great opportunity to talk with you and Ed last year, Foster. And we had probably six or seven students that came from the broadcast. Good. And I want to mention, because we talked a lot about we really don't, it's not our goal here to make money. We want to work with the parents and give them opportunities to have their kids yeah. have a great experience yeah. And, yeah. and do explore their passion. Now, uh, now when you say this is like a, a camp, uh, do the kids actually stay on campus so, or is it a drop-off type so of thing? So great question. The camps are one week in length. Yep. If you're a commuter, uh, lunch is included in the price, mm-hmm. so you can... Uh, come and you leave at at four or five o'clock when mm-hmm. the camp ends. If you're residential, you come on the Sunday prior to the Monday camp and you stay overnight. We have chaperones, mm-hmm. uh, full of chaperones, and then they do a variety of activities in the evening. During the camp itself, because Lawrence Tech University, the legacy of the Lawrence brothers, the theory and practice, that's what these camps are. They're all hands-on. So there's no lecturing. Um, the biomedical engineering camp goes to Providence and Beaumont and they do experiments. Oh, wow. In, in regards to prosthetics or different limbs and, and how different um, accidents happen and how it can be corrected. So nothing is, is boring. Everything is no. actually really exciting and does get a student to think, hey, I really like doing this. Maybe I'm going to come here. What, what are the costs involved? So the c- camps are usually anywhere between six and $800, depending upon if you are a residential or a commuter student. Okay. But we do work with all kinds of school districts. We have discounts. Um, we are always willing to work with parents. So I always tell them, please call me, email me, mm-hmm. let's work, because we want your son or daughter to have a great Are the scholarships experience. available too? Yes, scholarships Excellent. are available. Excellent. So, Scott, so folks, don't give up. When you heard that 600, 800, some people say, well, well, that's not, I can't afford that. You may not be able to afford it, but the good news is that there are resources out there to help your child become part of this because it's so important. Hey, would you tell me a little bit about the background of LTU? You mentioned the legacy of the Lawrence brothers. I don't think I've ever heard the story. Okay, it's a great story, and I always love my, I love telling it, and I'm happy to tell you. So Lawrence Institute of Technology was founded in 1932 by Russell and George Lawrence. One was a scientist, one was an engineer, and they both decided, you know what? Let's create our own engineering school. So with the help of Ford Motor Company, ah. um, they uh, had a, gave them the orphanage that was a building on that site where they built the Model T in Highland Park. Oh, no kidding. Yes. <laughs> and that started the first Lawrence Institute of Technology. And that was when? What year? 1932. 32. Okay. They moved to Southfield in 59 and grew into a very comprehensive university. Very STEM focused, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the theory and practice mission was that they believed to provide students a theoretical knowledge knowledge of the fields they're pursuing, no matter what it is, architecture, biology, engineering, but at the same time, give them that practical experience. They must have been pretty radical in terms of education at that point in time. So it's very interesting you say that because in their founding documents, they have a variety of interesting things they wrote. And one of them was that um, students should earn an education and finances should never get in the way. So I have a great oh, story wow. Yes, about an, a student who attended LTU 
and um, actually got in a car accident and was were unable to continue their classes, went to the one of the Lawrence brothers and told them that, and they said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, where's your car? And he said, well, at a bump shop. He said, well, where's the bump shop? And he told him, and he said, uh, okay, you come to school tomorrow. And he says, well, I won't have anywhere how to get here. And he says, where do you live? And so President Lawrence said, you're going to continue. I want you, you need to pursue your education. Years later now, and I'm talking years later, our president received a check in the mail for $1.5 million from the student that said, thanks, and here's the interest I owe you back. Oh, my goodness. $1.5 million. Yes. So we still today are true to the Lawrence Brothers mission. We give over $18 million in financial aid and scholarships to our students. So. That is really wonderful. By the way, we're talking with uh, Lisa Kuyawa. She is the assistant provost for enrollment at Lawrence Technological University. I'm so glad you told me the story because I did not know the background to LTU. It almost sounds like, uh, uh, Ed, what's the, is it Kettering that was the university that was linked with GM out of Flint? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, Kettering. Yeah, and that it sounds like LTU was linked to Ford Motor Company in somewhat the same way. Pretty much, yes. Uh, better, we'll say better. <laughs> if Dr. Modgill's listening, better. <laughs> we had such a so much fun with Dr. You know, Modgill. And, and, and I come from a Ford family, and I'm really surprised that my dad didn't have Lawrence Tech come to the house because in the when I graduated in '83, I had the uh, Air Force, the Army. And uh, came and give slideshows, and then my dad did um, um, RETS or NIT at the time. Yeah. And he didn't bring Lawrence Tech. If he would have brought Lawrence Tech, I'm sure I would have went there. You, I'm sure you would have gone there. Because the, I didn't want to go in the <laughs> Army and <in> the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the Army now. Hey, well, we're going to take a, a quick pause here, and at least when we come back, we're going to be one of the professors who is part of the camp and talk with him about uh, uh, the biosciences that he's involved with. That's coming up as we continue with the Internet Advisor. Uh, under the motto of it's never too early to sign up for summer camp, we are looking at a wonderful opportunity coming up this summer in July at Lawrence Technological University for your young one to be involved in some exciting classes that are involved with science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math. And they'll be going on for each a week at uh, Lawrence Technological University. And uh, they'll be on campus. You could stay, have them stay, or they could commute on a, on a daily basis. Um, from um, Is it from 9, nine in the morning? And yes, 9, nine morning to 4, 9 to, four. to 5. Okay, 9 to 4, 9 to 5. All right, very good. Uh, now, we talked about these classes and some of the different subjects that are covered in that, and we're delighted to have with us Dr. Jeff Morissette, who was one of the professors at these camps camp classes. Dr. Morissette, welcome to the Internet Advisor. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining us. Uh, It sounds like you have got a a pretty exciting class going there, and it's it's hands-on, I understand, and you are teaching them biosciences. What does that mean? What kind of things do you you put together? Uh, Boy, we do a lot of fun things during the week. Uh, We start off with a DNA fingerprinting exercise, kind of a set up a mock crime scene in the lab. Uh, they get to uh, isolate DNA and oh, uh, wow. kind of crime uh, investigate who did it. And we genetically modify bacteria. We make bacteria glow 
uh, bright green under UV light. That's part of a bigger discussion we have on genetically modified organisms and in particular genetically modified foods. We get into a, a little debate about that. Oh, yeah, GMO, uh, right, yeah. Yeah, so we do uh, a lot of things. Our kind of goal is to give students, uh, high school students who um, kind of give them experiences that they just can't really get at the high school oh, yeah. uh, level due to cost, due to uh, you don't have the right equipment, yep. uh, or just time. We, we have them all day uh, for a week, so we can do experiments that last uh, several days yeah. um, and really immerse them into a real working biotechnology laboratory. You know, there's a, there's a video that's on the, if you go to ltu.edu, there's a video that's available there uh, if you under the summer camp thing. And I was impressed at the variety, you know, of, uh, if you will, ethnicities that are there. And I'm going to guess that there are kids who are coming from uh, school systems that may not have access to the kind of wonderful resources that you have during the summer camp. Uh, yes, that's exactly it. We have uh, students coming from now around the nation. We had a student, a couple students from Texas. Uh, we have a big group from from Chicago. Uh, the word out is is out in Chicago, and uh, no we kidding, see several uh, students from um, lots of different school districts. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a good mix. Um, one other benefit: uh, these students get to know each other, and they get to talk about their high school experiences and and what their aspirations are for careers and things. So oh, cool. uh, I think they have a lot of fun um, in that respect as well. Huh. What is it like for you as a teacher? Uh, you, uh, I'm going to guess that throughout the year you're busy teaching college-level students, and uh, I don't know if you teach post-grad as well, but uh, what is the experience like for you teaching these kids who are kind of just, just wetting their appetite? Yeah, I think it's a, a great opportunity uh, for these students, and I like to um, talk to them as much as possible, get to know them. Uh, a lot of them have questions about healthcare careers, for instance, or, oh. or what can they do in biology or chemistry or the sciences. So uh, some of our sessions are um, just kind of getting to know them. Uh, I'm a, a healthcare uh, advisor at, at Lawrence Tech, so. I can answer a lot of questions that they have about how do I get into medical school? How do uh, I become a physical therapist? How can I do this or that? Uh, so we have some of that kind of career uh, advising for them. Mm-hmm. Um, just get their, their questions answered. Well, Dr. Jeff uh, Morissette, by the way, is our, our guest here from uh, Lawrence Technological University. You're uh, in the Department of... Uh... Uh, Dr. Morissette's the Department Chair for Natural Sciences, and yes, you sir. might want to ask him about nursing. Oh, yes. Well, there you go. You've been given your cue. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, well, uh, as the word is out, uh, we are starting a new nursing program. Excellent. Uh, we got our first group of students coming in the fall, so we're really excited on that front. And actually, we have a camp that now is, uh, as soon as nursing comes on campus, we're going to uh, bring them right into our camp structures as well. So we have a new Ooh. camp called Molecules in Medicine. Uh, it's the first time it's ever been offered this summer. Uh, it's still being uh, designed, but it's kind of for those pre-health, um, future healthcare uh, professionals. Yeah. So nursing uh, will be a big part of that um, kind of oh, yeah. design and focus on, on medicine. Uh, we're going to talk about drug design, drug testing, uh, how do we find new medicines. Lots of... Um, career advice in that one as well. And yeah. Well, there's a lot of pharmaceutical side. companies in the state of Michigan as well. We're a, a, a pretty big center, I would imagine, with, uh, I'm, I'm not going to guess, is it Upjohn? There's the, 
uh, out in Kalamazoo? Yes. Help me. Yes, I believe <laughs> yep, so. Yep. I think it is. There's a lot of very big pharmaceutical companies that are part of the economy here in Michigan, and that's got to be a big part of what you're drawing students towards as well, you know, besides the hands-on practice of medicine, and God bless them nurses, I have, you know, as somebody who <laughs> I have a lot to do with nurses in my uh, treatment for cancer, uh, I, I love them, they're wonderful, and I thank God for them. But uh, in addition to that, I'm also uh, very interested in the fact that there are people who are on the frontiers of medicine out there, finding out what medicines work and developing medicines that will work better for some of the illnesses. Yeah, we have uh, this this camp in particular will be run by uh, Dr. Shannon Timmons, and she is a uh, natural product chemist. Uh, so kind of looking at um, products out there, things uh, that are made in, in flowers, trees, oh, yeah. uh, plants, bacteria, whatever it may be in the natural world. Right. And a lot of these compounds can be used Absolutely. for medicinal purposes. So she's uh, she does oh, a lot of work wonderful. in that area. Wow. Uh, she's going she's gonna to work in or bring a lot of that into the, the camp for sure. That sounds fantastic. Her, her expertise. That sounds fantastic. Well, so if, if somebody who's listening to this right now and, and has a, a child who is interested in medicine uh, or in the, you know, the broader medical field period, uh, including the pharmaceuticals, um, you know, is listening to this right now, what kind of classes should, should they, when they, Lisa, should they ask for specifically this particular track or this particular uh, camp? Oh, yes. Uh, Dr. Morissette's biotechnology camp, which is the first one he ever offered, that we have to close it immediately because by April it's it's already oh, full. Wow. So I'm assuming this um, also will be closed early as well. So students need to hurry up and get their applications in. Um, because, again, with the hands-on, Dr. Morissette likes to do a variety of things together in teams. So 21, 25, that's about as far as they'll go. Oh, wow. That's that. So, folks, you heard it. <laughs> get onto the computer and get to ltu.org, edu, pardon me ltu.edu is there uh, like an 800 number that people can call as well they can uh call 1-800 call admissions call admissions and and or they can email me directly at l-k-u-j-a-w-a at ltu.edu now don't go off the highway trying to take this down okay (laughs) we will put this on the show notes as well so that you can copy that information down dr morissette thank you so much for joining us here and i hope that you have a wonderful uh, summer with these young people and you stir up a lot of interest in this especially this towards this nursing program sounds like a really neat Really neat addition. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. We're really excited. Uh, thanks for having me, and we're looking forward to summer, and with a day like we're having today, <laughs> it, it seems like it's right around the corner. Oh, yes. Yeah. May it come quickly. Thanks again, Jeff, for having been with us. This is Dr. Jeff Morissette, who is uh, the chair for the Department of Natural Sciences at LTU, but he's also somebody who is very much involved in the summer camps coming up. And so, Lisa, again, let's uh, recap this for our listeners. This is going to be coming up in July of this yes, year. Yes, in July, four weeks weeks in July. Uh, there's one week in June, last week in June, then the next three weeks in July. Uh, and an easier email is summercamps at ltu.edu. Okay, summercamps at... That comes directly to me. Okay. And I can send materials, I will send documents, uh, and communicate with students about that. Okay, ltu.edu. That's uh, summercamps at ltu.edu, and that'll get you more information 
And uh, please, if you're interested in getting your young person involved in the summer camps, get them Get get going on it. And by the way, again, I want to get back to this because I think it's important. You mentioned the figure of six hundred to eight hundred dollars for these different courses. Uh, I would imagine some of the variable is whether you stay on campus, right? Absolutely. And that is obviously going to cost more, uh, but it also be a wonderful experience for kids to be on campus. I can just imagine that the uh, I, you know I kind of envy these kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, to be young once again and enjoying this. But Lisa Kuyama, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much, Foster. It's always a pleasure, Ed. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And hats off to LTU and uh, Dr. Mogul for the wonderful programs that you folks have developed out there and continue to present to the community. It's good to have you here again. Back in just a moment with Mr. Mike Brennan and the headlines from MI Tech News. All that coming up on the Internet Advisor. Well, it's about that time in our program to uh, introduce Mike Brennan, the editor of MI Tech News, MITechnews.com. And uh, it's a place to get all of your information about the the headlines that have to do with entrepreneurship and technology in the fair state of Michigan and also reaching out around the globe as well. Mike, thanks for coming again. Yeah, what a nice day, huh? Oh, man, we lost Gary. We lost him. To, we lost him to Miami, and he couldn't. It's unfortunate. the The boat show apparently down there. Everybody's gobbling up bandwidth, and he couldn't get. He could literally get a word in edgewise, and uh, so we were having to uh, wave goodbye to Gary as he's heading out towards the boats. <laughs> well, you know, he was a really good water skier when he was a kid. So oh, he's yeah. probably down there water skiing right uh, now. As a kid, I saw him about a few years ago. We, we went out with him. That's right. And uh, he was water skiing. <laughs> he, he's still got a good touch. Yeah. He's still, he hasn't lost it yet. He's one of those crazy guys that plays water polo, too. He played water polo at one point. Those guys are nuts. Yeah. Those people are nuts. I can't well, imagine. That, that's, that's appropriate bad... that Gary did that then, right? So. Yeah, it's a bad way to, <laughs> it's a bad way to drown. Oh, yikes. Well, Mike, uh, let's take a look at some of the headlines that are out there right now. One I was it, really interesting uh, was to see the uh, topic of what to do about fake news and fake apps. And that was uh, a headline that came from one of our, our favorites. Yeah, Dan Lorman, who's going to be on uh, M Squared Techcast on Monday to talk about this in a bit more detail. Oh. But, uh, you know, instead of just uh, the, the biggest culprit seems to be Facebook. Everyone sees something on Facebook, they share it, whether they, you know. What I always do is I click on the link and go back and follow it back to see where it yes. was published. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if it's published at a legitimate news organization, CNN, uh, LA Times, whatever, New York Times, then, you know, if it's something I'm interested in sharing. so But there's also this issue of fake apps, uh, you know, uh, that are out there right now where it looks like you're clicking on a real retail app and it takes you to a bogus site and they harvest your credit card information. Mm. So it's still pretty much the Wild West on the Internet, but uh, Dan Lorman's going to try to make some sense of it on Monday. That's excellent. You know, one of the things that uh, I was going to ask you about as I was looking at these headlines here, maybe Ed can chime into this as well. How, I was asking, how do you determine whether something is fake news or real? And you just kind of gave the formula for yourself. 
which is to follow it back down the line. How about you, Ed? I look at the IQ of the people that are publishing it on Facebook. <laughs> Jeez, oh, Pete's. I didn't know they published IQ. <laughs> well, it's out there. I'm sure it is. Uh, and every time they click on those fake news links, their IQ points go down a few points. Oh, dear. Uh, I actually saw, I saw an article that was written uh, in the, I think, Atlantic Monthly or something like that. Um, a well-respected news source in general. And it was about these two uh, teenagers in Serbia, I think it was. You know, outside yeah, I think you're of, right, yeah. To, who, they, they just, all they did out there was to kind of harvest these, they, they looked for the craziest statements. Yep. You know, like, the Pope endorses Donald Trump or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and they would publish it, and they were making a ton of money. Yeah, they were making a ton of money off the Google ads on these yeah. things, and they, they had absolutely no concern or interest in the content itself, but just no. in how many people they could attract to it. Well, that's a real money-making operation. People have got that down to a science. Link bait, I think, is what they call it. Yeah. All right. Clickbait. Yeah. Now I understand. Here we have another story about Yahoo. <laughs> one that they would rather not be be spoken about, but this is yeah. a, another one that's taking place there. Well, it actually took place back in December when the billion hack information came out. So this one kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Essentially, it's a cookie scam where uh, they forged fake cookies uh, and. Uh, but it tricked the browser into telling Yahoo that you were already logged in when you weren't, oh. and then it gave them access to your Yahoo account. So they didn't have to steal any passwords. They were just using it, the cookies to... Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it, scary. And they're, they're getting real clever out there. I mean, the bad guys are really good at what they do. That's yeah. why it's so scary. You just have to be very conscious of what's going on before you do anything on the Internet, because you don't know who it is anymore. That's exactly right. You don't know who's behind it. Well, and that's one thing I always make sure I do, even though sometimes it's an inconvenience, is I always log off of my email um, if it's web-based mail, whether or not it's my charter internet mail account or if it's my hotmail. But what you're saying is that they have a cookie that they put on people's PCs that made it look like they were logged in, and then it would steal their information. That's interesting. So it didn't matter if they actually logged off. Um, No. Oh, that's oh. It, uh, they were fooling Yahoo, and Yahoo's security wasn't smart enough to figure it out. But they did alert people in December about it, but now it's really coming to light again. And uh, by the way, if I, if I remember, if I read correctly in the article you posted there, this happened in 2015. The, the, and 16, yeah. And 16. The big Yahoo leak, the millions and millions that were stolen, was back in 2013, am I right? Yeah, but they made all these announcements in December, and they yep, they announced yep. this uh, the Yahoo billion account in December, and then oh by the way uh, they they didn't put a number on it, but there's also the situ- situation with the cookie situation where yeah. they're <laughs> forging fake cookies oh, to get dear. into your Yahoo account. I so Yahoo that. is pretty darn vulnerable. I'm amazed that uh, certain parties are still did, interested in buying that. Uh, didn't I see that they, <laughs> they, that Verizon just dropped the price again? Uh, like yeah, by, what, yeah. a quarter of a billion dollars or something like that? <laughs> yeah. They're not I mean, too... I, I, how many people are signing off and dropping oh, their Yahoo dear. accounts because of all this? Oh, dear. Hey, one of the last things I want to look at this. Uh, uh, there was a headline here about uh, My Bright Future, or MI Bright Future, is helping to connect high school grads with internships and training. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, the Workforce Intelligence Network folks that we work with. Uh, there's actually a video on my website where they can click on that. Hmm. But it's a matchmaking service, uh, you know, uh, that uh, looking for workers with experience and students and whatnot. Uh, but uh, they'll help match you up and uh, get you the training that you need or fo- show you where you need to go to get that training so they can you can get one of these STEM jobs, uh, that's science, technology, yep. engineering, math. And, of course, now they've added the A to it, STEAM, mm-hmm. for arts, wow. uh, which makes, makes us arts guys happy, right? You know, so. <laughs> we were just talking with Lisa Kojawa, who was, I know, your guest earlier on this week on M Squared TechCast. Well, she's uh, going to be on on Monday. Oh, she's be on Monday. Okay, she's coming up on Monday. Well, we were talking with her about the summer camps that they have coming up, which are STEAM-focused, and I, I just love the fact that there's so many resources out there for high school grads. Ed was saying he wishes that he had had that kind of uh, uh, opportunity when he was graduating from high school. Instead, his, oh, dad, yeah. his dad got the, what was it, the, the Army? Army, Air Force, and uh, Rets at the time. At the, and Rets at the time got in there. Yeah, then came over with a slideshow. You know, <laughs> two of the groups showed up in uniform. And I said, that's not for me. <laughs> well, Mike, let's tell people how they can get hold of MI Tech News. And, um, well, that, that's it. Just dial it up. Uh, go to your internet, uh, MITechnews.com. Uh, we have newsletters. We have podcasts. As you know, we take we pick up your podcast. Yep. Uh, we, we pick up the podcast from Matt Roush and my show on Mondays and a whole host of other folks now. Um, and now we're moving into video very rapidly. Uh, we have some really cool things we'll be announcing in the second quarter. Oh, cool. But right now we're working real closely with Automation Alley. They're promoting our video news updates and uh, for their members, which is kind of like a video press release. Uh, but the video gets you a whole lot better SEO, search engine optimization. It, it gets viewed versus a press release, which sure. seldom gets read. Yes. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, we're, we're, I can't think of anything we're not doing other than print. <laughs> I, I left print a long time ago. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for being with us. This is Mike Brennan, who is the editor of MI Tech News. And again, as you, you heard, folks, these headlines, that information, and so much more is available to you for nothing. Just simply go to MITechnews.com or go to internetadvisor.net, and you'll find his smiling face on our show notes, and you can click on the link there to subscribe as well. Mike, have yourself a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Foster. Thanks, Ed. Talk All right. Take care. Folks, coming up in hour number two, we're going to be checking in with the folks from the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to mitechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Hello and welcome to hour number two of the Internet Advisor. I'm Foster Brown, the co-host and producer of the program. And in this section of a program, we're going to be talking with 
Sharon Kalwani, who is uh, the chair right now of the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. has been around for quite a long time. We're going to be talking about that extraordinary organization and about his work with HPC, High Performance Computers. Welcome, it's hour number two of the Internet Advisor, and uh, Ed Rudell and I are holding down the fort here. Eddie, good to have you in the studio. Always great to be here, Foster. We normally, by the way, in the second part of our program, spend our time answering people's questions. And Ed, in particular, has been working during the week, um, fielding questions for people on, uh, on their emails. And if we get a chance, we may connect with some of those a little later on in the program. But we thought, because of uh, the way the program is going today, being preempted by uh, Michigan State basketball, that we would um, use this opportunity to connect with some people who have been on the air with us in the past and uh, a, a delightful group of people. You know, here we are coming up on our 20th anniversary and think we're doing something hot here. Yeah. <laughs> These folks have been around a whole lot longer talking about computers. And, uh, and uh, matter of fact, I think maybe started out with ham operating. We're going to find out something about that. <laughs> with us in studio is Sharon Kalwani, who is the current chair. He's the SIG uh, Linux chair for 2017 at Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. And uh, Sharon, thank you very much for joining us on the Internet Advisor. Oh, well, glad to be here, uh, enjoying myself, first time visit here, and first time on the air, and uh, well, be delighted to answer questions and share insights. Oh, that's wonderful. So this is the first time for a lot of things for you. <laughs> Although you have been around quite a long time in terms of computing, I understand. Indeed, that is correct. Uh, I actually uh, spent time in computing abroad before I came here to the United States way back in the 80s, uh, middle 80s. Went to Wayne State out here, and uh, I was there uh, uh, when, you know, the Tigers won the World Series. Oh, my goodness. So I have uh, interesting memories and uh, have <laughs> yeah. been around uh, computing for a long time. Oh, two great, two great events. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when did uh, you begin your career in computing? Um, uh, to be precise, 1980, and uh, at that time I was an engineering student, and uh, my professor needed some help uh, doing some engineering calculations, and then I discovered <laughs> computing, and I figured out this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Oh, that yeah. is fascinating. So you were an engineer initially, and then computing was something that was like a tool that you used for that process, but then you fell in love with the computing itself. Indeed, that's correct. And uh, it's not like I've left engineering. In hmm. fact, today uh, I help a lot of engineers uh, use computing to advance their profession and their jobs or their roles. And uh, quite often I'm able to understand their needs and uh, give them uh. the right tools they actually enjoy talking to me because they can speak in engineering lingo. <laughs> and uh, a funny little story, uh, when I first started uh, work at General Motors, not as a General Motors employee, but uh, someone to help out, I was at a table and uh, at one side the chief engineer was describing all the engineering problems he wanted to solve. At the other side of the table there were some IT folks and at the end of the hour-long meeting, uh, the IT person said, I didn't understand a word of what he said. <laughs> you know, he talked about degrees of freedom and uh, vibration mode analysis, et cetera, et cetera. 
just tell me, you know, how many megabytes you need or how many computers you need. <laughs> and uh, at that time, the light bulb went off in my head because uh-huh. I understood perfectly what he uh, was talking about. So I told the IT guy that, uh, listen, let's meet afterwards. I know exactly what he needs, where he's going, and I can describe to you. So I became the glue between the two. And uh, I love it. You became an been, interpreter, yeah, really. But, that's 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 a good point. I mean, that's what it is back then too, because a lot of people that developed that had went to, from a bend of engineering or whatever their passion was. Mine was electronics, and then they had a passion for computers. They had to learn how to build them. Then they had to work with different uh, environments with people. I had to work with engineers a, a, as well, and and programmers, and the two didn't really speak the same language at all. You know, uh, and so you became accustomed to their lingo and became like a translator. That it's is fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, so the, the two of you have found yourselves in that kind of a situation. That's yeah. fascinating. Yes, as I understand the something called HPC, which is high performance computing. Computing, correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, is is uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about that. But essentially, I'm going to be simplistic in this. It's using a lot of computers to help. Of engineers, for instance, with design problems that they have on a massive scale because there are so many different kind of factors that are involved in it. And it has been used as a way of um, speeding up the whole design process. Am I right? That is indeed correct. And it's been very instrumental. Um, and of course, uh, high performance computing in the old days, let's say before 1980s, was known as supercomputing. Yes. And uh, that term is sort of faded away because it's not just calculations anymore, like you uh, used uh, massive or I- enormous amounts. So it's uh, imagine computers with thousands of processors, gigantic memories, and massive amount. Uh, hundreds and thousands of disk drives all strung together. So they said it's high performance in every dimension and aspect. And really, it is to solve hard problems. And it goes way back when, in fact, uh, some people will uh, share a story with you that, um, you know, computing got its start from trying to solve massive calculation problems way back, you know, uh, sure. in, during World War II at the that's, end of that. That's right. And, and then in our space program, too, with the calculations for re-entry. Yes. And oh, and then you have, the and mo- have that movie that just oh, came out. Oh, the movie this came out called The Hidden Figures. I yes. love that. Our guest, by the way, is uh, Sharon Kalwani. He is uh, the current SIG uh, Linux chair for 2017 for the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. But it's fascinating. We're talking about the history of computing as well. It's been my pleasure to introduce you to Sharon Kalwani, who is the current chair of the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization, SEMCO. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that organization, but I want to drop a little something into your ear before you figure that this is too highfalutin for you. This marvelous organization, and we're going to find out more about it in just a minute, um, is offering a special seminar coming up, and it's on March the 26th, a Sunday afternoon between 3.30 and 5.30. It's called The Introduction to Windows 10 on Your Laptop. And there are so many folks out there who are listening to the program right now who have have fought to stay on Windows 7 (laughs) and not to move to Windows 10. And as a result, really have missed out on some of the benefits, many benefits that come with Windows 10. And this uh, 
This is going to be taking place, as I said, again on uh, March Sunday, March 26th, 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Introduction to Windows 10 on your laptop. We'll do. We'll talk more about that. But, Ed, you were going to ask some questions about Semco itself. Yeah, Semco. So I wanted to ask if Semco was an organization like the Society of Manufacturing Engineers where its membership is comprised of professionals, or is it also just average Joes that have hobbyists and interests and or home users that are going there to for learning experiences? Uh, yes, well, it's more the latter, where oh, oh, okay. it's uh, people who are just interested in computing, and they got together, and that's how it formed. It's not a, a professional organization like SME or uh, Society of Automotive Engineers okay. or IEEE. It's more hobbyists that have gotten together, and it's actually 40 years old. Excellent. Uh, 40? Oh. That is correct. So last year in uh, April uh, 2016, we had our 40th anniversary party, and there were a lot of folks, some of the original members who founded it came, and they all brought uh, some ancient computer hardware <laughs> to show how they got started. They shared pictures of them taking a trip all the way down to uh, Silicon Valley, buying stuff at the Computer Byte store and things like that. Oh, uh, Computer so, Bytes, yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, a lot of fascinating stuff, and it's uh, lived through a lot of changes, oh my. and it stays very current. And uh, today we have quite a few members still. Primarily, they are folks who uh, like to learn what's going on, what's new, uh, what's the future look like, That's, and yeah. also hands-on experience. Like, I have a problem. How do I solve this? Yeah. And uh, Semco is the place to be. Yeah. Well, because, you know, you ha- you have raspberries now. You have yes. a lot of people now with raspberry. Printing. By the way, oh, raspberry both being fruit and uh, and a little a little computer where you can get with the uh, Adrenos and the raspberries. You could do make programmable uh, devices for your home. So a yeah. lot of people, their hobbyists, are taking this up. And you also have the 3D printing environment too. Oh, that's right. Where yeah. there's so many professionals that are that are, are familiar with the the CAD experience can now develop their own. Uh, they they have their own printer and they could develop their own 3D rendered models. In, at, at home, yeah. so they're they're meshing some of their personal with um, you know their professional and um, skills that they have, and they're coming up with projects to develop at home because I mean that's their passion. That's why they went into it, and yeah. they want to be around other people that have those experiences yeah. and of, and areas of expertise that they can share. Uh, that brings to mind a uh, phrase that we often use in computing. Birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> yep. And at many computer conferences, both for hobbyists and professionals, you'll find BOF or BOF, birds of feather sessions being organized <laughs> all the time. I love that. I love it. There are birds of feather sessions that are going on because of interest in particular things. It could be in Linux. It could be uh, HPC. or Indeed. It, it yeah. could be almost anything. Right. I love the common thread of curiosity. I bet for you that that sense of being driven by being curious about what's the next thing, how does this work, well, it's also has driven a lot of what your interest yeah. is, Sean. That, that is indeed correct, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it is curiosity, you know, how things work, but even beyond that, so how should I put it? You know, a, a, a desire to see such a powerful tool being used to help us. Yes. Solve problems, you know, advance society. Um, and the internet is a result of all of that oh, yes. curiosity, and it's really changed uh, everybody's lives. In fact, computing it has changed everybody's life in so many ways, and it'll continue to do so. And it's important for us to 
be cognizant of it, familiarize ourselves. I mean, just like uh, the printing press in the history timeline of uh, mankind, that was a big, uh, major point so that knowledge could be printed and shared and read. Oh, yes. Before that, if you go back, uh, the wheel, where instead of, you know, having to lug things slowly, trudgingly across the wheel, you could then do a lot more, be a lot more efficient. There are so many things, and computing is one of those major points in the timeline of mankind. One of the things that fascinated me, it was just, I don't know if it was like a revelation for me, but as I was watching that movie, Hidden Figures, which, by the way, folks, if you you love computing, um, it's just a marvelous, a marvelous, marvelous movie. But anyway, as I was watching it, it suddenly struck me that the people were the computers. They were literally the people who did the computing, so therefore they were, the people were the computers. Mm-hmm. And then there was this moment when IBM brought the machines into NASA um, where these people who had been the computers now got together with the machinery and the punch card system, etc., and began to expand that ability to do the problem solving that needed to be done. But up to that point, it was the people who were the computers. And indeed, that is still correct. It's people who uh, are going to use computing in, you know, for solving people problems. Um, it's not going to replace us. I view computing as more like an extension, uh, an expansion of our capabilities, uh, you know, multiplying. It's like a multiplier or amplifier of whatever uh, capabilities we have. So you're not worried about artificial intelligence taking over your job? Uh, Only if we let artificial intelligence take us over. If we succumb, uh, we should never stop the capacity for thinking. Ah. This allows us to get away from the drudgery of, you know, wading through a morass of data and things like that. Let it do that kind of work. Let, we can tell it what to do. We, after all, program it. But we should use it wisely. That's more important. We should be more intelligent about using it. Have it serve us as opposed to being the other way around. That's why we should never, you know, give up and say, well, let the machine do it. No, we should say what the machine should do for us and Mm. remain on top of things all the time. That's why it's important for everyone to learn and understand. And you don't have to be a programmer to understand that. But see how it's used, you know. That's that's the flavor, right? And I really think that the um, the um, computer assistants that like the Echo and the Am- the Amazon Echo, oh, and yes. Google has their product, <laughs> and um, you know, oh uh, yeah, I'm, I can't. Th- and then you have the, anyways, well, well, with uh, a lot of these would be in the near future. You'd be able just like on Star Trek, you'd be able to say, show me a three D rendering of a DNA molecule and how it's attacked <laughs> by this such and such a virus, and and show me an, another representation you know, representation in nature of where this takes place. And and you can let the computer come up with those comparisons for you. You know, you just have to come up with the questions. You've been around, Sharon. Uh, by the way, our guest is Sharon Kalwani, who is the current uh, uh, chair of uh, Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. Forty years they've been around. Um, you've been around to see these big jumps in, in, in abilities that have been going on. Um, what are the ones that that you wish we could apply better? In other words, are there problems out there right now that you wish we could attack and would attack that we maybe aren't? 
Well, the list is rather long. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I, I have to come back for another hour of the show there in the future <laughs> to talk about uh, some of those. But uh, let me dwell upon at least my specific area of high-performance computing. I tell you what we're going to do. We're yeah, going to take a quick yeah. pause here because coming up in just a moment, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I do want to talk a little bit more about your field, which happens to be this high-performance computing and what it can do and what maybe you you hope it would do. Uh, Sharon Kalwani is our guest here. It's just a delightful conversation we're having with somebody who is the chair of the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. And uh, we'll remind you again about that special seminar coming up on March 26th, where from 3.30 to 5.30, they'll be helping you to uh, learn more about Windows 10. I kind of find, uh, I feel like we're, we're pikers here, Ed, when we're talking about, we're coming up on 20 years of the Internet Advisor. But this organization, Southeast Michigan Computer Organization, has been around for 40 years. I, here I was telling it was 30. I could not imagine being surrounded for 40, well, uh, yeah, I can. I'd be geeking <laughs> out for 40 years. Yeah, so. <laughs> we're, delighted, it, we're delighted that they uh, made it possible for us to talk with Sharon Kalwani, who is the current chair uh, for 2017 of the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. Uh, uh, Sharon, before we, um, we took the break, we were asking you to, maybe to talk about ways in which, because you're involved in, with what's called HPC, High Performance Computing, which is uh, some people would have called supercomputing in the past, like the Cray computers and things like that, only this is now massive arrays of computers. Am I right? That's correct, yeah. Um, it, it, what has happened is because uh, the cost of computing has come down, it's allowed people to then uh, uh, organize lots of machines together to tackle problems and uh, there's a large number of problems that it's been solved, and we've actually gained a lot of insight into. And that's the key word, the insight. Um, in the early days, it was just used as a glorified calculator, like right. I said, at right. the, mm -hmm. the Army, and say, calculate ballistic tables. Well, you extend that, and then the uh, NASA stuff, yeah, yeah. how to get the trajectory and right. escape velocity, it helped there. And then it turned out that we could apply it for many more things where it's not just calculations, but actual information looking at that, uh, pictures, images, sound, quality, all these kind of things that enters into many realms. Today, um, and you talked about artificial intelligence, because there's a lot of information out there, they're using these to figure out information data in those uh, patterns in, in that data. Uh. And, and here's where I would um, put in a word of caution. We haven't even begun to exploit maybe a mere fraction, one or 2% of all the information that's out there to learn more about ourselves. Think of medical applications. There's lots of information right now. Someone pours through it and there's only so much a human can do absorb, digest, but let the machine do it and come up with uh, things, you know, uh, maybe possible cure for uh, diseases yep. or uh, different uh, approaches to patient care or things like that. So there's a lot of problems, and I think we're at a point where we have enough information about ourselves, and we should use this to help us uh, come up with better approaches to problems or, or tell us things we don't know. Are you talking, in, in essence, about data mining or data management? 
yes, data management is a, a segment of data mining, and data mining itself is a segment of which we call machine learning or artificial intelligence. We can tell the machine, look at all this data, tell us what you find. It'll find oh. patterns and things. We can train it. Okay, now you find all these patterns. When you see these patterns, this is the action we want you to take and things like that. They can be trained. And it doesn't mean that they'll take us over, but right, right, right. use it as an assistant. Uh, for example, the IBM Watson was has is now being trained to look at medical records. So it can look at hundreds and thousands and millions of patient cases and then detect a pattern that the doctor might take a long time to figure oh, out yes. and things like that. So wow. that's an example. Wow, that is fascinating. I... I, I we, we really have, so it's almost as if we're kind of at, it's like dealing with an iceberg. We're just dealing with the tip of the iceberg now, and there is so much more underneath to look at. I know you worked at Michigan State University for a while, didn't you? Yes, uh, well, for a little while, and um, that's not my first stint in uh, academia. I actually worked abroad as well in uh, academia. And uh, in most of the research institutions, that's where I would classify there's a, a huge spectrum of problems they want to solve in natural sciences, the physics, the chemistry, the mathematics, the biology, the engineering, and even today in uh, none of the, uh, or in the non-mathematical domains, for example, um, uh, using uh, information records we have to find out uh, about uh, lost uh, civilizations, for example, they can be used there. So Already it's all, oh. yeah. So it, it can scan, for example, pictures of objects or artifacts, and then detect patterns that we couldn't see with the human eye. I mean, the possibilities no are limitless. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that uh, scanning uh, pictures, for instance? And uh... well, it, it, there's so many that uh, maybe they don't get the press or publicity. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me give you two quick examples. Um, a famous painting, for example, um, I don't recall which one it was, uh, maybe something like the Mona Lisa. It was a yeah. famous painting. Yeah. And then uh, what they did is they scanned that picture, but what they did was they used different kind of infrared one time and ultraviolet in another. Uh. And then they discovered there's another painting underneath it. Uh. <laughs> wow. th th that is one example. Or where they've uh, used uh, uh, like radar, underground radar to scan and then let the computer reconstruct, and then it saw structures underneath. They dug, and they found there was a city buried underneath, and over a long period of time, several thousand years, sure. another city sure. arose. So what you didn't know, it told you, because it could see the patterns. It can absorb Absolutely all that information. And there's many more, like I said, and many challenges that we have yet yeah. to get to. Yeah. It sounds like, Ed, you know, that the, the real challenge now is not to get more data, but to, to mine the data that we have right now right. and find out what is it we really have. Like, for instance, the ability to look underground there and find a whole other civilization. Well, the hard thing is that the tools of, uh, many tools are already there, but you have to have the imagination and the insight to be able to um, identify what you want to do with them. You have to come up with an idea. I wish I could do, you have to come up with a question. You mean, how many times have you and That's I in the true. computer environment, where, where, where someone will ask us a question, it's like, why didn't I ever think of that question? Once the question is asked, then the engineers are all excited about it because they never thought of that. 
that a question? And the same thing with the programmers. So you have to have someone to actually come up with a question like, wouldn't it be nice if we could use some of this radar to look underground for lost cities? Well, yeah, we could do that. We have the technology, but no one ever asked the question before. Yep. Yes, so I would like to add to that. It uh, goes even beyond questions. We ourselves as civilizations, modern day, we should know that what are the problems we're trying to tackle? There itself, there's plenty of questions. How do we tackle this? How do we solve this? How do we you know, get towards uh, a, a, an environment? And these are just tools for us to deploy. Just think of it maybe you know, 50,000 years ago and it's cold, it's rainy. What do we need to do? Protect ourselves from the environment. So we discover tools. Let's cut wood, shape it, put it into a structure, and therefore now we're protected from the elements. Let's go fast forward 50,000 years. Now we have these tools, these computing tools that can calculate, find Uh out. And so we should look and see what are our problems today and just ask questions on how to solve those problems and then deploy these to, uh, you know, figure out solutions to that. And and computers may be part of those tools. Yep. Not always. I mean, the computers aren't going to solve everything, mm-hmm. but they they are. You know, but they're uh, in every facet of our life, and they're going to be involved in some way. Now, I know that uh, uh, tangentially, I believe that you've been involved in the auto industry tangentially, yes. uh, both as a resource to the the auto industry, et cetera, and that this this massive computing ability is being used for design engineers to look ahead. I, I'm just curious, what do you? How will this affect, or do you think it could affect, the whole future of transportation for us? For instance, autonomous vehicles. Uh, all right. I'll talk a little bit about autonomous. That's more the current popular thing. But, yeah. um, you know, computing has been used uh, by our engineers in the automotive industry for quite some time, at least 20, 30-plus years. And uh, let me give you a simple example. Compare the cars from maybe the 70s and 80s with the car from today. Mm-hmm. They've got many more safety features. Yes. If you look at the data, we have far fewer people dying in road accidents than they did uh, so many years ago. Big, big difference. A lot of that was possible because they needed to do calculations when a car crashed what were the different parts of the car uh, elements that yeah, yeah, yeah. crumpled, yep. hit the driver or passenger? Right. We call that crash analysis. Mm-hmm. And we are able to use computing, and it's calculating all the massive energies because when a car crashes oh, yes. in real time, it's between 60 to 120 milliseconds that suddenly all that moving energy comes to a full stop. It has to go somewhere. Mm. And what it does is it bends or shears or tears up the metal. We've seen a lot of those yeah. dummy yeah, yep. uh, commercials and things. Right, right, right. But before they do that, in the old days, it would cost nearly half a million dollars to do a physical test. Now we can do millions of those before we actually even build the car, and it works right the first time. Oh, that is fascinating how that works. Our guest is uh, Sharon Kalwani, who is the current president, or chair, rather, of the Southeast Michigan Computer Organization. We're going to wrap things up in just a minute talking about uh, uh, Windows 10. I've got to jump to that because uh, that's uh, something that uh, they're going to be helping people like you with coming up soon. Before we get any further, and we're about to wrap things up here, I want to thank Mike Parsons and his very able assistant, Chelsea, who was there with him as well, his wife, 
Thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming in today and helping us out. And Mike, thank you again for being our engineer and uh, producer behind the scenes there. Thank you. Uh, Ed Riddell has been with me in studio here. And Eddie, we've had the pleasure of talking with Sharon Kalwani. We were talking about um, massive computing or our HPC, um, high performance computing, which essentially is what we used to call supercomputing, right? Correct. Like yeah. The supercomputers. And that's the combinations of both the uh, massive amounts of a storage and also um, the um, the new chips that are out there uh, that allow the computing to be you know taking place in incredible speeds and uh, incredible numbers of processes to be done at the same time. We were talking about cars, and you made a point that I thought was so good is that. We, with the crash test dummies, we used to have to wait until they got all chewed up. <laughs> and then we can come back and say, okay, if a car gets hit here, it could hurt that part of the, of the person's butt. Now it's possible to run those calculations, those scenarios, millions of them, before we ever get anything, even a dummy in the car. Indeed. And that is one of the most uh, useful applications of computing like this that we're actually helping it to save lives. We're helping to, you know, uh, make best use of all the resources. And today you can, uh, you know, walk into car. The reason we have those five-star ratings crash, yes. you know, three-star, yeah. four-star, can be directly attributed to high-performance computing. And then just before that, you talked about autonomous vehicles. Oh, yes. Yes. So today they're trying to experiment with it. And in order for a autonomous vehicle... It has to take in data from so many points. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, pedestrians on the road, traffic conditions, talking to other systems, you mm -hmm. know, where the light is, what's going on. Mm -hmm. and, other cars. And, and all of that needs an enormous amount of computing and, uh, you know, with uh, low cost. And also what I call miniaturization, where they've made all these things smaller and smaller, so that maybe in a size of a book, mm. you could have several thousands of processors and memory oh, and storage yes. yeah. and it can take in all the sensors and then calculate and then guide the vehicle and you can always override it and they're doing more and more work and in the next few years you'll see almost everyone in this town connected with the automotive industry touching a piece of that but behind the scenes it's all this computing that's you know driving or making it even possible yeah and, and, and Detroit I think uh, Detroit itself uh, Southeast Michigan has become kind of a, uh, a a mecca, a center for this particular kind of of, of cars and computing. Like I think mm -hmm. of Ann Arbor on the North Campus. What's going on there? Some of the other car companies that have recently come into right, and you got the old Wixom facility. Oh, that's right. Test. Yes, uh, Willow Run. The old oh, Willow Run. <clears throat> yeah. Pardon me. Yes, it's going on there. And we just talked with the mayor of. Um, uh, oh, Wixom. Wixom, that's, yeah, yeah Wixom. About yeah, right. the uh, facility that's going out there with Uber. That's Uber's correct. putting a, a yes. facility out so, there. So a lot of the West Coast companies who have, you know, the software, technologies, hardware, a lot of them are in collaboration with uh, companies right here. And I see this is going to be even more active and more busy in the next uh, few years. So folks who know computing... They'll be in demand to help out in different different parts of it. There will be so many little parts, and it's going to be uh, quite a challenge. But I think we're all up to it. Oh. You know, I had heard something at one point that they said, um, and this was 
when they said it, I couldn't believe it, that the, the amount of power that's going to be required by an autonomous, autonomous vehicle is, is going to be extraordinary. And, uh, you know, our current electrical generation systems just aren't going to be up to snuff. You know, uh. we have 12 volts, volt systems in there with alternators. That may not be enough for the um, standard autonomous vehicle in the future because all the computing <clears throat> power that's required in the LiDAR and, and stuff like that. I thought that was interesting, but I could not found, find a more in-depth article about it. It was just a reporter's observation. Uh, let me share a joke with you. Uh, sure. You've all heard and seen the Tesla. Uh, one person told me, that's really nothing but a gigantic iPad with uh, an engine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the iPads of the future are going to be more powerful. We'll need them. But the most important thing is that they should be there to serve us and do what we yes. command as opposed to the others. Yes. So uh, talking about computing and... Yes. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, we're going going from Good. massive computing to something that's... Uh, very interesting conversations, but let's get back to Semco. <laughs> yes. And they're having the Windows 10, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, okay, again, uh, to remind you that Sunday, March the 26th, from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m., uh, Semco is going to be offering a seminar called Introduction to Windows 10 on Your Laptop. And it's a hands-on class to help you learn... Uh, how to set up your computer to enhance your work environment. And I, I think, you know, to... Well, what's uh, the website for that so people can go to to get more information? <clears throat> it's uh, semco.org, isn't okay. it? S-E-M-C-O That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. S-E-M-C-O.org. And uh, you'll find information out there. And so let me say a little bit about Windows uh, 10 yeah. specifically, and then a little bit about the seminar. So Windows 10 is quite a departure from all the old Windows. Uh, and clearly... Um, Microsoft saw that, you know, the world of computing is changing. It's not necessarily the desktop and all that, but tablets, phones, other devices are there. So they changed uh, a lot of things. Sometimes it might look like the old system, but underneath the covers, it's quite different. And yes. so yes. Uh, navigating your way around it, uh, a lot of folks ask questions, so we decided to put the seminar together. And uh, it's a benefit. If you're a Semco member, you get to attend it for free. If not, you can still come, sign up, join Semco, and attend the seminar. And we'll uh, teach you how to navigate your way around Windows 10 so you can get maximum now, benefit. You, you folks are pretty high-powered experts in computing. If I don't feel like I've got that kind of chops, am I going to be okay? Can I learn? I, I, yes, indeed. Uh, uh, you'll find that uh, this is quite... Uh, an interesting operating system, very easy to navigate. All you have to do is, th the first thing I advise people is forget about what you've learned in the past and approach it with a fresh mind. Suddenly you'll start seeing it in a different light and then you'll be navigating your way through real I quick. I love it. I love it. It sounds fascinating. It's coming up again at near the end of March, March 26th. And there is a cost to it. If you're not a member of Semco itself, it costs uh, $30 at the event. Uh, but it sounds like it's well worth it. It's going to be from 3.30 until 5.30 p.m., an introduction to Windows 10 on your laptop. Uh, I would seriously suggest that you can consider this as a way of, if, you're, if you've been working with Windows 7 and have been kind of fearful about making the plunge, where is it going to be held, by the way? Uh, yes, it's held at uh, one of our facilities uh, at uh, Alter Engineering. They were very kind enough to offer their facility. Okay for use because a lot of folks there get together, share common interests, mm -hmm. 
and computing. So that's, that's on Big Beaver Big in Beaver uh, Troy, yeah. Michigan. Yeah. So if you just Google for Semco or Semco.org, then you'll find our website and also Excellent. the information where, when, how, how to get there. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here with us. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I know Ed's, Ed's eyes have lit up a number of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and you're so articulate and, and, and expressive in, in your stories that it, it just draws you in and it brings yeah. back a lot of good memories. And, yep. and you're, yeah, you're able to put together, it's a great interview. We are, and I think in some ways we're at the, uh, we're at the frontier of some, we'll continue to be at the frontier of some extraordinary things that are yet to be done, yet to be seen in terms of uh, the kind of information that we can mine from the data that we already have. And I know that you are involved with that with HPC. Sharon Kalwani, thank you so much for being with us. And the very best to you. Thank the folks at uh, Semco for for having you come on the air with us. And we look forward to good reports from our listeners as they attend your meeting coming up on um, the 26th. All right. Thank Thank you very much. My pleasure. Been a pleasure having uh, the time with you. And Eddie, we're going to take a break here for another week. Come back next Saturday. Take care. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Internet Advisor Show, Detroit's longest-running, locally-produced computer show, with Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net. And look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.